0: Hello, Chris Evans here with a special edition of the Best of the Breakfast Show podcast with Sky from Virgin Radio, with the wise and the wonderful writer Susan Kane talking about her New York Times best-selling book, Bittersweet, How Longing and Sorrow Can Be Your Superpowers and How They Make Us Oh So Whole. She's gone to Harvard Law School and Princeton University. Basically, she's smart, so pay attention to what she's saying. Her new book, Bittersweet, How Sorrow and Longing Makes Us Whole, is out now. So here to explain why sadness isn't
1: always a badness
0: is the wonderful Susan Kane. Good morning, Susan. Good
1: morning, Chris. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me.
0: Thank you for being on our show. You are awesome, Susan. This is the follow-up to... Your book, Quiet, uh, both number one bestsellers, both global bestsellers. Uh, This one already, and now famously, uh, the legend that is quiet uh, will sell forever. Uh, Let's talk about both of them, if you don't mind. Uh, First of all, quiet, um, the power of quiet, quietude, quietness, quiet people, a quiet revolution. Speak to that, if you don't mind, for a second or two.
1: Oh, gosh, sure. Um, Yeah, so I wrote Quiet um, to point out the undervalued power of introverts in a world that can't stop talking. Um, you know, and the idea is that we live in a global culture that has a way of, um, of, of of seeing extroversion as the key to a successful life, the key to contribution, the key to happiness. When in fact, I mean, if, if If you look around, extroversion itself is a wonderful personality trait, but if you look around, there are also introverts who are contributing in all kinds of ways, Um, and and yet we don't... um And yet we don't showcase those talents. And you have a lot of introverts. What you have is a kind of colossal waste of energy and talent and happiness because so many introverts are taught that their own preference of how they want to spend their time is somehow suspect and that they should try to be more, um, act like somebody who they're not instead of using their own natural strengths.
0: And the parallel superpower, you know, of uh, your new book, Bittersweet, uh, along with uh, the superpower of the introverted, uh, quieter uh, people or things in life is the fact that they are the less obvious uh, tools within all our armories uh, to to benefit and to use on a daily basis. So can I just say the way you opened this book uh, took us all, I mean, it stopped us all in our tracks. The story of The Cellist of Sarajevo. Can you, can you just give our listeners a little glimpse into that story, if you don't mind.
1: Yeah, I mean, so the book itself is about bittersweetness and a kind of almost melancholic um, way of being in the world, and and the cellist of Sarajevo um, was this iconic figure um, during the siege of that city in the early '90s, um, when you know the, the the citizens of the city were just being kind of. Bombed and, and attacked by snipers, and it was difficult even to go out to look for food because you might be attacked by a sniper up in the hills. Um, and and into this situation, there was one day a bombing, um, and a guy named Ved, Vedran Smilovic uh, had been right near the, the bombing at the time, and he helped take care of the wounded. He happened to be the lead cellist of the Sar- excuse me, of the Sarajevo Orchestra. And after, after the bombing was done, he returned later. He returned, I think it was the next day, to the scene of the bombing. And he sat in the open square. You know, most of the citizens, like no, nobody would go in, into the streets at all for fear of being attacked or shot. But he sat there amidst the rubble of the bombing, and he brought his cello with him. And he sat there and he played the Albinoni, uh Albinoni's Adagio in G minor, which is this incredibly haunting, exquisite, deeply bittersweet piece of music. And he played that amidst the rubble. Um, And he did that every day for 22 days because there had been 22 people who had been injured or or who had been killed in this bombing. And he sat there in the open square for 22 days and people said to him, you're you're crazy for sitting out there. vulnerable to attack like that. And he said, no, they're they're the crazy ones for bombing Sarajevo. Um, but there was something about his act of playing this music, this deeply bittersweet music that represented in the middle of all this kind of degradation and fear and anger. it It represented humanity's best self because the music itself, I don't even know if we can play it now, but but the music itself, represents a kind of longing for the heavens Um, that's what the music represented and he was like he was sort of staking out this human love and this human longing for the heavens right in the middle of the war. It's beautiful. And uh,
0: my, both my co host and I, when we read the beginning of the book, uh, you referenced the YouTube um, uh, URL that you need to go to to listen to this. And we all did the same thing. We didn't know that till this morning. We all got our laptops out and we thought, we've got to hear this and we've got to see this guy. And then we carried on reading your book to the lament, if you like. Or the support, or you know, or, or the strength uh, of of um, of the, the cellist of Sarajevo. I mean, awesome. You talk in the book about many things, and you do talk about the power of sad music over happy music. You say, research has shown that if we find a sad song that we like that moves us, you, you know, often to a positive thing as opposed to, to a negative thing, we play it on, on average um, 800 times as opposed to a song that we love, which we might play 30 times. Uh, so what does that tell us? Yeah. I mean,
1: so in some ways, the reason that I even started this whole book, this whole quest of trying to figure out what the what the value was in this bittersweet way of being, it, it came from the response that I have to sad music. And that, as you say, from the research, many, many people have, um, which is you, you listen to music, like the kind that the cellist played, that Sarajevo played that day, and you don't actually feel sad what you feel is a kind of, you kind of feel a love. You feel a connection to all of humanity who have experienced the sorrows that the music is somehow expressing. Um, You feel a gratitude to music itself for being able to, to transform pain into beauty in that way. Um, And it was actually trying to understand what that music was telling us that got me into this five-year quest that I've been on um, to understand the bittersweet tradition and what it tells us about our ability to transform pain into beauty. Um, and what, what bittersweetness really is, is um, it's a recognition that joy and sorrow always come together, that that light and dark always come together in this life. And, and that there's a deep impermanence to everything and everyone that we love And yet somehow with that awareness comes a great creativity and connection and even transcendence. So we live in a culture that's telling us to be kind of relentlessly positive, you could say toxically positive, but it's actually our bittersweet moments that give us some of our deepest states of creativity and connection. So we Uh, we really don't want to lose that. It's
0: beautifully put, um, as your book is beautifully written. And it is about that power, isn't it? Because you do feel an overwhelming and uh, it can be overwhelming and reassuring sense of power on your side. It's like the depths of the ocean as opposed to the waves crashing on the shore. It's what's beneath everything, you know. And we all, you know, it's great to to, to experience joy and to have a party and to have a sing-along, you know, and uh, she loves you yeah 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 moment uh, but they are they are fleeting whereas everything else is is feels like it's ever present
1: yeah and i love it that you said she loves you yeah yeah because um you know if you look at the beatles like so, some of their greatest songs are the ones where they're expressing that kind of longing and yearning which we all have we we all come into this world um with those emotions and and there is and and people who are listening to that kind of music tell researchers that that these emotions are connected with some of their most sublime states of yeah. awe and wonder, and so on. But I'll, I'll tell you also, you know, I don't know if you took the bittersweet quiz that we I did. I've got it. here. I've earmarked it. Yes. <laughs> okay. Okay. Maybe I can ask you in a minute <laughs> how you did on some of the questions. But like we found with that quiz that that people who tend to score high on the quiz, which means that they're prone to these bittersweet states of being, um, also tend to score high on states that predispose them to creativity and to states of like awe, wonder, spirituality, transcendence. So there's this mysterious connection between these emotions and and this bittersweet state.
0: Well, it's mysterious in as much as it's not at all. It's as mysterious, you know, uh, as as um, the phenomena of, of childbirth or the, the the stars hanging in the sky every night. You know, once you accept that everything is wonderful, it's not as mysterious uh, t- to begin with as, as one could otherwise imagine. You know, if you score above 5.7 in the bittersweet quiz, you're a true connoisseur of the place where light and dark meet. I was like a 570.
1: Oh, really? Oh, yeah,
0: totally. Interesting. totally. I love it. Well, I, I, by the way, you, you, your quiz put me at ease. So it's funny that we talked about mm-hmm. the cello. My favourite musical instrument is the cello. And I think it might might be because yeah. it's the bridge between all musical instruments and all genres, whether they're harmony, whether they're bass lines, whether it's melody, um, whether it's a, a solo, you know, or, or, or an ensemble piece. I think the cello is the sort of mediator of the musical world.
1: I, I can understand that there is something about the cello that just resonates at such a deep level. You, you almost can't, you can't put your finger on it. Um, what it's really doing, but wait, I want to ask you like from the quiz, maybe we can just give listeners a sense of what some of the questions sure, are. And I'm go curious do, for do, you. Yeah. You, which,
0: you, you, give us all the quiz, why don't you? Cause Vassas is here uh, and Rachel's here. You can, you can actually be the, the quiz master.
1: <laughs> Off you go. Okay, and you and you can tell us how you scored. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's do um, it. Okay, so so one of the questions is and and just for listeners for each of these questions you kind of you rate how you score on a scale of 0 to 10. So mm-hmm. 0 is that you don't feel it very much and 10 is that you really do. Here we okay. Go. So, uh do you tear up easily at touching TV commercials? Uh 10. 0. <laughs> 10. <laughs> Are you specially moved by old photographs? 10. 10. ten. Four. <laughs> Do you react intensely to music, art, or nature? Ten. Eleven Ten <laughs> <laughs> Have others described you as an old soul? Five. Zero.
0: Zero. Fastest. You are
1: the oldest soul on the planet. Am I? Yes. So okay. That's then ten. Then. 10. All right. <laughs> Do you find comfort or inspiration in a rainy day? inspiration. And this how may be far? different in England because, I, I don't know, you all get so much rain that I can imagine well, that now, England, even the most bittersweet you, person would Susan be like, enough King, with the rain. Just back the old <laughs> rain train up there, if, if you don't
0: mind. But it doesn't rain as much as, we, as the rest of the world thinks it does in England. It, because, I'll tell you why, because in Richard Curtis movies, he, also, he always makes it rain in the last scene. <laughs> and, that's, and so everybody thinks that, that's how it is. It's not, that's just the Richard Curtis movie thing.
1: Oh, okay, okay. Well, then let's let's back up the the rain train as you said. <laughs> I meant trucks. <talk, laughs> so, do you find comfort or inspiration? <laughs> I find in those I rainy find days?
0: inspiration in in rain. I find inspiration okay. in every second of every moment of life to be mm. honest, but anyway. I find
1: comfort. I love that. All right, c- carry on, please. Susan. Okay, okay. Um, do you know what the author CS Lewis meant when he described joy as a quote, "sharp, wonderful stab of longing"?
0: Yeah. I do, I, I do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a ten. Nope. Yeah, ten. Oh, come on, Vassos. No. Stop just being obtuse for I'm the sake of it. I'm not being obtuse for the sake of it. I'm sorry I don't. Don't okay. you find that <laughs> in, true, in true joy, Vassos? Because when you're joyous, mm. you often end up tearful. I, You know, I end up sobbing sometimes when I'm joyous. So why is that? That's because there's a deep lament of longing and separation. And the separation may well come from the divine from before we were even born. Yes or no, exactly. Susan?
1: Wow, that that it's like you wrote the book. I, I love it. That well, you I read the book. You wrote it. <laughs> it. that way. That, that was amazing. Um, but I do want to say, um, on Vassis's behalf, that I I have actually I've talked to people who have taken this quiz and and answered zero to every single one of these questions. Yeah. So you know there is just an incredibly incredible variety in yeah. human the, the experience Yeah. The different here. Hippocratic temperaments. Exactly. Hypocritic. <laughs>
0: hypocritic, <laughs> pal. Uh, Susan, where do you want to take this interview next? I don't really mind because you're so clever and so wonderful. What do you want to talk about next?
1: Oh, um, well, you, you tell me. I mean, we can talk about longing, which you...
0: Long, well, longing well, is... About a, what that is. Longing is amazing, isn't it? Because, you know... As, as all, I mean, you've talked before. Uh, in in other on other platforms you know um about about the various emotions that happen to us emotions are non-specific and it's our take on those emotions as opposed to our reaction to emotions which is different because that's about mindset but our responses to various emotions um begin with a non-specific emotion it's just that sometimes we convince ourselves that they are specific
1: um yeah i'm Yes, I'm sorry. Well, you know, I in know exactly in, 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 as, in it, as
0: much as longing, it, you know, mm-hmm. l- longing itself, you know, can is is actually a a a um, a symptom of a non-specific emotion, and oh, it's how I see we, what you're saying. it's how we interpret it.
1: Yeah, yeah, and um, this emotion of longing, people can sometimes find it a bit abstract. But what I would say is to look at where our religions take us you know that there's a reason that all of our religions have this aspect of longing to them you know you're longing for the Garden of Eden you're longing for Zion you're longing for Mecca um, the way the Sufis say it is that you're longing for union with the beloved of the soul which is um, the amazing way that they express the divine and um, and those are religious manifestations but then at at the Wizard of Oz and you have Dorothy who's longing for somewhere over the rainbow or you have Harry Potter who comes into the story longing for his parents you know and that the theme of of his longing to see his parents like in that mirror that he looks at yeah. in, in in the first book um that's re- it, we all understand on a deep level that that's what's driving him um there's a reason that so many of our children's books, you know, the the protagonists are orphans like Harry Potter, because there's this sense that, that this longing that comes with us as we enter the world is actually what catalyzes all of our adventures. Um, So that's like, that's what our artistic and religious traditions have been telling us for centuries all across the world. And yet in contemporary culture, if I say to you the word longing, like most people might associate that with like, you know, mired in longing or somehow held back by longing. Yeah. But but the the whole etymology of the word longing it literally means to grow longer. You know, to reach for. So it's like this this understanding that this spiritual longing that we all have, whether we consider ourselves atheists or believers, this this existential longing is is the seed of all our creativity. So it's an emotion that we should be um, tapping into more consciously.
0: Yeah, no, I get it. And because, you know, often um, longing uh, is is interpreted and, you know, in the Harry Potter stories or whatever, uh, longing is longing to be back home. And often it's confused, but it makes for a good yarn. If we we think that home, uh, we confuse, we mistake home for being what we lack. And so we chase what we lack, whatever that may be, what we lack or what we've lost, and we get there and we realise that's still not the answer because home is just the
1: squaring of the circle of life. Yeah, and you know the the way the ancient Greeks put it, I think, is actually really helpful for us moderns, um, because for them they expressed this through the word potos, which I may be mispronouncing, but it's p o t h o s, and it and potos basically meant like the the yearning for everything that was most unattainable, but it was like the yearning for truth and beauty and perfection and love. Um, so everything that's most worth having, you know, that we're we're never going to quite reach it the way we wish we would, it's always going to be an asymptote, but it's understood that the, the longing for that the trying to get closer to those states, um, are deeply positive ways of being. Yeah. And it's funny because
0: longing, you are right. You know, we want life to be long. May you have a long life yet. Longing sounds more burdensome than sort of, um, uh, you know more of a a useful signpost it just it sounds heavy doesn't it and it shouldn't because you're right the etymology isn't that at all it's much more positive
1: that's right and and um it's why i started with and come back in the end to what um bittersweet music inspires in us because i for many of us when we hear that kind of music we understand the sweetness of longing you know it's like it's it's supposedly sad but you actually feel like yeah drawn um to something good but you know what even for people who aren't so into sad music you know i I think the same thing happens on the soccer pitch you know um like people talk about maradona and there's like why why do people love to watch somebody who can play like that there's something about um that person for a moment in time is representing the sublime you know it's like People are seeing it right there in front of them. Yeah. There's a glimpse of Eden. Um, so it's not just music, right? We see it in sports. You see it in many manifestations. Well,
0: also those things, you know, including music, are beyond words. And although we're very clever because we've invented linguistics, you know, they can take away or mask the magic of what's much more powerful and also more truthful.
1: It's a really interesting idea. Um, and I think, I, yeah, I think, I think that's why so many people report having these kinds of experiences, whether it's music or whether it's with sports or, um, you know, in nature, you're gazing at a waterfall and suddenly it's like, it's so beautiful, it brings tears to your eyes. It's it's very often pre-linguistic, but it's just a representation of, of everything that we humans need and desire most. Susan, you are an amazing person and her, her, Susan's books and
0: her writings are combinations of different things and themes and tenets and pillars. You know, there's research in there, there's science in there, there's there's sensitivity in there and there's biography in there. You know, the relationship between you and your mum, my goodness me, there's a trilogy there within itself.
1: Yeah, it's funny. I, uh one of my best friends read the book and she was like, oh gosh, you know, next time you have to just write a full on memoir. <laughs> um, and, but but, I, but even just the few pages of memoir that I had in the book were, were pretty intense um, they were. to write and to put them out there. But um, yeah, you know, I wrote that story with my mother because that was an acute loss that I had in my life. And a kind of redemption that came at the end of that loss, I, I, we probably don't have time to tell the story now, but I told it because I know that we all have those losses and breakups and bereavements. And the question is how to think about them. Yeah. And, um, yeah, and, and, and to realize that any love that we lose, that love can return, though it often returns in a completely different form from from the love that we had lost so we almost don't even recognize that it's returning
0: yeah well you don't loo- you don't lose the love you just lose the lose the messenger uh, of that particular um chapter of your love
1: exactly exactly
0: Susan, you're awesome. Is there anything you'd like to say to us? You're up early in the morning there in New York before you go off the line. We can't thank you enough for being here. We can't thank you enough for your wonderful books, uh, both available on Audible. Uh, First one, not narrated by you. The second one, definitely narrated by you. I also listened to your podcast yesterday, back in 2016, about quiet. It was awesome.
1: Oh, wow. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Well, thank you for doing that. Um, yeah, I don't know. I guess I would say to listeners, if you're interested and in, if you first want to just sort of dive into the bittersweet quiz or something like that, you can find it on my website, which is susancane.net, and you can see how you score. All
0: right, Susan. Thanks for being very clever and for sharing some of that with us.
1: Well, thank you all so much for having me. It's, okay. It was really a pleasure.
0: All right. What are you going to do for the rest of the day in New York? Are you going to stay up?
1: Well... I'm not sure. I might actually go back to sleep for a few hours. <laughs> it's 5 to 5 a.m. <laughs> in New York City. Yeah, all right. thank, yeah. Thank you, Susan. Lots of love. Same to you, Chris, Cheers. and to all of you. Thanks for having me.
0: Thanks so much. Uh, you're very welcome. Anytime. Susan Kane, Bittersweet, How Sorrow and Longing Make Us Whole. And what is sadness for? Because everything is for something. you just got to figure out what that something is. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky. Virgin Radio. Susan Kane, how great is she? That's it for now. Thanks for listening. Why not listen back to some of our other podcasts from Dame Judy Dench and even Mini Driver? Ta da!